head sheep. And we say, uh, good evening, Millersburg Baptist Church. And we're going to key off on that word, church, because that's what we're about, that's who we are, and that's what we're dealing with tonight. The, uh, the church, actually, last week was dealing with the church, and next week we'll be dealing with the church, and we're doing Ephesians, some of Ephesians 2 from last week. This week we'll be doing Ephesians 3, 7 through 13, and the next week will be chapter 4. So we're doing expository, but we're kind of uh, bouncing around a little bit here, so I hope that's okay. Not trying to take it out of context, and hopefully it'll just kind of run together. But a little something here from Martin Lloyd-Jones, what he thought of uh, this section here and dealing with the church. He said, the church of which we belong to is the most astonishing phenomenon the world has ever seen. And he also said this, it is more wonderful than anything seen in nature. So we all like to take trips. A lot of people you have here taking trips here. <laughs> they just gone all the time. <laughs> but, you know, you think of uh, vacations, you think of going out to maybe a Grand Canyon or Yellowstone National Park or the Niagara Falls, going to the mountains, going to the beach, you know, those great, wonderful nature things to just to go to or just go out to you know into the, the forest and enjoy that and that we can say wow this is a glory of God and all the thrills and awe-inspiring nature things that God has given us but there is nothing so thrilling than the church made up of Christians who lean on the everlasting arms have this, such a great fellowship and they gather together to worship and so we're looking, when we look at the church and we look at Ephesians, we're seeing the most amazing thing that God has ever made. And He's made some marvelous creations, hasn't He? You know, whether we talk about nature or we talk about individuals, but to put the individuals together and they be chosen out and called out and He puts them together and as one body they work together and uh, just manifest His handiwork. This church is an amazing thing. It's the manifestation, I could say, that is, well, the greatest manifestation of God's wisdom, that the way that He shows it the most. Of course, it's, we know through the Word of God. But also, He shows His wisdom through the church. And He has given and deposited to us His very Word. We have it. And we have the very truth that uh, lost people need. It's just staggering. It's staggering that God would work through us and then we see the dignity and glory that He brings to the church. And so far, Paul has never talked so highly about the church than this text tonight that we talk about. Uh, Nothing about the church goes higher than this, I think, when we look at it. Uh, As Martin Lloyd-Jones says, And then he says, what we have to grasp is the most astonishing phenomenon the world has ever seen. The only thing is, the world doesn't know it. What they see, this church is just incredible. Barring a few things from uh, John Piper, says the Church of Jesus Christ is the most important institution in the world. You can think of a lot of organizations uh, that are out in the world that do some great, marvelous things uh, that mankind has put together. And it's nowhere. It can't compare with what the mission of the church is. We're the assembly of the redeemed, the company of the saints, 
the children of God, all those different things you can think of what we are. But we have been the most significant, not only now, but throughout all the history of mankind. The church is the most significant thing that uh, has been in this world. If you were to take the United States of America and then compare it to the church of Jesus Christ, it's like taking a speck of dust and comparing it to the vast sun that we have. I mean, it, <laughs> and it, it was probably even even more than that that you can think of. Or think about, uh, let's say, the 4th of July and all the great uh, things that happen on the 4th of July. Or you think of the pageantry of... Uh, New Year's Day, you watch the Rose Bowl Parade, you know, in Pasadena. All the great colors, all the, you know, the roses and all the other mums that they use for that pageantry. And it's like, almost like a, a dark gray compared to the brightness of what the church is. I just, you know, I can't think of enough similes and metaphors and everything to think of what we are. You know, we're, we're bounding this together in a, just an incredible uh, creation that God has. We're the bride of Christ. So, and you, you look at today's church and, you know, it, it just doesn't seem like that always. We know that God has this invisible church, but we, don't, we just don't see it maybe as, as clear as it really is. And there's a work in progress here, you know, in the church. But it, it's doing its thing by the glory of God. So you think of all the media and all the powers and authorities and rulers and all the great leaders out in the world and here lies the church and all that other stuff is just a mirage because the church will continue on. The body of Christ, the called out ones will continue on. Like the Word of God, you think in 1 Peter where it says the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of the Lord, and I think we could almost put in quotes, be careful, though, right? And all his family abides forever. If you have eternal life, you're going to abide forever too, right? It's the Word of God and, and His chosen ones. And uh, so, when we think about that, we know Jesus said, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Well, the powers of death will prevail against every institution but the church. Christ's own. So what we want to do, and my trick is, is to bring my own heart to this grandeur wisdom that God has given us here in this text, the, the great mission of the church, the eternal purpose and such. How can I find the right kind of words in a human language to express the excitement and to have our hearts opened to see even more what this church is about. How can we find that? Uh, put this into the cosmic significance. I've got on the title here tonight, the cosmic showcase of God's wisdom. Uh, the supreme purpose of the church. Uh, we are just earthen vessels. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm a leaky clay pot. <laughs> trying to bring forth God's great wisdom in this. And I'm going to fall far short. What I read right here is going to more than make up for it for what I say. But even at that, it's trying to get our heads clicking and our hearts open to this even more and what the, the vision is of the, the body of Christ. And to, to be able to look at this in a way that would make it real. And so we, we need to ask for God's help 
that we be enlightened here to comprehend the length and the depth and the width and the height. By the way, that sounds familiar because at the end of the text that we're looking at tonight, there's a prayer right at the end of it. (laughs) Because he says in verse 14, for this reason, with all this incredible things that I just told you, that's what Paul is saying, which is Scripture, God's Word. I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is our prayer for our text that we're looking at tonight. I'm going to read it. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Holy His Spirit in your inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow, do you think Paul was wound up? After he just wrote what he did in chapter 3, he couldn't help but pray that they would understand what he just said via the help of the Holy Spirit. This, I think, is one of the most amazing passages in all the Bible about the church where we're at tonight. Now, I just read a text uh, which is not going to be the part we're looking at tonight, but we need help before we go into that. Now, let's go into the text and we're going to go backwards here. I don't usually do this. (laughs) Let's back up to verse 8. Actually, actually, what did I say? Verse uh, 7, right? Of which I became a minister. Talking about the promise of Christ. I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of His power to me who am less than the least of all the saints. This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Paul, for sharing this great passage with us. Now the trick is is to be able to get this and put it into a language that can excite us. <laughs> uh, Paul starts out, verse 7, which I became a minister. We'll cover the first few verses here pretty quick, uh, hopefully. The word uh, minister there is diakonos, deacon, servant, right? He says, I became a servant of this mystery of God, this, this gospel. Uh, who, how are people going to hear unless somebody goes and delivers it, right? It reminds you of Romans 10. How are they going to hear it? There has to be a preacher. Well, Paul's a preacher. He says, I'm a minister of this. I'm a servant of this. I go out and, and serve it up. 
So, so he did it for the benefit of others. Paul's duty was to be a faithful servant. Uh, there's been a mystery that's just been revealed that was never known before. It was concealed. And now God has given it to him to be able to share it with the rest of the world, and namely, that being the church, and so that they would understand this truth, that he might teach the Gentiles. The Gentiles would come into this saving body along with the Jews, and that was what the, really the first six verses were dealing with. So that was a mystery. That was good news. Good news that people could be reconciled to God. Because the Gentiles were outside. And, and the Jews had all the oracles and the, the word of God that was given to them by God, but the Gentiles were outside. And he says, they can be reconciled too. And they can be all in one body. So we're all called to proclaim this wonderful news. If Paul is a minister, we know that has continued on down. We too are to do that. And it's according to what? God's grace. God's grace. Ooh, don't you like that word? You guys preach grace here. <laughs> That's what it's about, isn't it? We're saved by grace and we uh, continue by grace. Paul was just simply amazed uh, by the calling of God to have this ministry. I think of 1 Corinthians 15, uh, it's resurrection chapter, verse 10. It says something that's very similar. And I heard somebody kind of read along with this a while ago. You know, where he said, uh, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than all than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God was with, which was with me. Huh. So he knew that whatever he did, he really didn't take credit for in himself. He did it, but it was all by the grace of God. Saved by grace. We live by grace. It's always a goodness. It's always a kindness of God that he would include Paul in that ministry. And then you think, well, that's him. Us? We're in the same kind of ministry, giving the word out in, the, in, a, in a way that we know that's always done by God's grace. And then uh, you'll notice uh, a series or a phrase of <coughs> dealing with words that are power words, the dynamite words. It was given to me by the effective, that's an energetic word there, working, energase, which is where we get our energy, of his power or dunamis. So effective, working, power. Power. Power in the blood. <laughs> Mighty power of God. By God's grace and by God's power. That is the right kind of attitude. Everything that we do is always taken in the sense that it comes from God's power, God's grace. It's all of Him. And we think of Colossians 1.29, which was an epistle that was similar to Ephesians in a lot of ways. And there he says, To this end I also labor, striving according to His working which works in me mightily. Those are power words. So, by, he was a minister. It's by God's grace. It's by God's power. Uh, we know we are helpless. We are know we are insufficient. We can't do it on our own. And it's all by God's power. It's grace. And you'll notice that here's what I heard somebody just kind of read along with this where who am less than the least of all the saints. And we've heard Paul say that before. And you go, boy, if that was Paul saying that, what does that put me at? And of course, some of that is referring back to his past as he had persecuted Christians, possibly even killed them, had them killed, and uh, 
Actually, that passage is found in 1 Corinthians 15.9. We read verse 10 where he recognizes the grace of God. And then again in that verse 9, before that he says that he was the least of all. So he was very humble in all the works that he did. He knew where it all came from. The least of all the saints. Is there a passage in Timothy 2? Uh, 1 Timothy 1.5. I don't know why I have that. But uh, that's not it. That's what I'm thinking of. So we won't refer to that, but we will, we'll go to the next one I have on your sheets there. Unsearchable riches. Unsearchable riches. What's, uh, what's going on here, Paul? Well, uh, the gift of the grace of God given to me. Least of all the saints. This grace was given, and keeps repeating that grace, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And you could spend hours on that. And I'll just give you a few that I just kind of tracked down. About 15 of them. We're going to go through them quick because uh, what's coming up next is really what I want to get to. There are many things we can talk about when we talk about the unsearchable riches, but first of all, what's the world talking about? Well, talking about the economy, right? The air has just been let out of that. Then they're talking about things that are happening in Libya, Egypt, all over the Arab world, other places, tsunamis in Japan, and of course, what all is happening in this thing. A lot of things people can talk about. You turn on the news and what do you get? You get news. What kind of news? Bad news. Carol's got to the point she can't even stand to watch any kind of news anymore because... Yeah. Exactly. And there might be a lot of truths that they're saying, but hey, yeah, they don't give you the, the real ultimate truth, do they? They leave you hanging out there. It's almost like hearing law and no grace. So, you know, we, we've got to have that. The, the gospel, that's what it is. To preach to Paul was preaching about the unsearchable riches. I'm not going to treat this as fair as I should, but we'll say that it's, first of all, it's Christ Himself. Just having Christ Himself. That's, that's really all we need, isn't it? Because all the riches are in Him. All the treasures are there. Those riches are... So much that we cannot fully comprehend them right now. You know, we are in bodies that are limited, and we cannot, our understanding is limited, but we know that there's an eternity. And even though we're discovering what those riches are now as we grow in our Christian walk, we will have eternity to find out what all those riches are, and we'll never be able to un- uh, really unpack everything He has for us. It'll take an eternity. It's like having Christmas presents every day. <laughs> Understanding who God is, that's the greatest riches, but boy, I, it's just inexhaustible. I, I'm just full of encouragement tonight. <laughs> this, this text, I just, what, what do you do? Oh my. I like the way the American standard uses unfathomable. Because in the Navy, you had so many fathoms, the chain would go down. For the anchor, uh, you know how far it would go down. So it's unfathomable. The anchor would never hit ground because it's so deep, and that's how it is. It's so deep the word of God that we can't hit hit bottom ever because it's just so deep, and we never could get that 
secure again and say, oh, I got it. You know, it's, it's always richer. It's always oh, deeper. Yeah. Much more than we can even... That, that, that's a great word, isn't yeah. it? That's actually a problem. I'll make you wonder if that's a nautical term there. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. That's right, you were a naked, naked man. Yeah. Weren't you? We have a few um, who aren't here right now, but Tim and also Albert, right? Yeah. Well, that's, you guys probably use that word quite frequently. Yeah, I, I guess yeah. that's why I'm attracted to that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, our greatest ambition really should be to know Him. I mean, this is eternal life that they may know. Right? Uh, how about it, like in Romans 2.4 where it, it talks about God's kindness and His forbearance and His patience. Just kindness in the sense of realizing He's a kind God and He's very patient. He forbears uh, our, our sin. And then in 1 Corinthians 1.30 it talks about His wisdom, His righteousness, his sanctification and redemption. Uh, that right there, you're talking about, we get God's wisdom. Yes, we do. We get His righteousness. We have the righteousness of Christ that's already been given to us. We, we are being sanctified. We, we have been sanctified, are being sanctified, and will be, I guess, uh, have, have been saved. And but sanctification goes on as He cleanses us out. And redemption, we've been redeemed. And uh, another, uh, one of those kind of unsearchable riches would be His mercy and love as found in Ephesians 2.4. Uh, how about Ephesians 3.16 where it talks about His glory that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory. These are riches that we're, we're talking about. Uh, the riches that we will have all things to enjoy. 1 Timothy 6.17 Now is that when we get to heaven? Uh, starting now. <laughs> but it'll even get better. We see dimly now. We have it. We have it here. But a bunch more to come. Uh, we have His assurance. That's quite a rich in uh, richness. Uh, I think it's Colossians 2, 2. I think it is. Um, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love at attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God. So a lot of these words, they're connected really with the riches. What are the riches? And that's what we go through there. His Word is found in Colossians 3.16. The riches of His Word. Uh, Hebrews 11.26 The reproaches for His sake. For His sake. Holy Spirit is a rich uh, richness that we've received. Uh, rest, as in Matthew eleven twenty eight, the rest that He gives us. The peace. peace. Oh boy. Boy, do we really need that sometimes. All the turbulence going on, and yet, in this whirlwind of this world, and we're sitting right in the midst of the storm, and we have peace. Peace. Peace with God. Joy, John sixteen twenty four. How about the uh, incorruptible inheritance as found in First Peter one three through five? I mean, those are riches. And then Colossians two three. We're right there in Colossians two two. All the treasures, all the treasures. I like that verse. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this is the church. We've received those unsearchable riches. 
Now, we go back to Ephesians. Like I say, you could spend a lot of time on that if you wanted. I just felt like I cheated all of us, but we move on. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. That means Paul says that he was here to bring to light what was hidden. They were in the darkness. The light has come. Of course, that's the gospel. But to keep showing even believers, the more light is, is shown upon certain areas that helps us all be encouraged and, and to continue on in the walk. Okay, now we move to verse 10. That was quick for nine, wasn't it? Okay, now here we go. Here we get to the eternal purpose of the mystery. The eternal purpose. This is just packed full of exciting stuff. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Do we know as Christians what is happening? Do we know what's really happening? We do. We know what's happening out in the world. You think, well, all those guys are on TV and they're educated. I mean, they've got uh, degrees here and there. And it's like, you know, they've got all this information. They know what's going on out there in the world. <laughs> Do we know the overall purpose? We have it, don't we? Um, Professor Arnold Toynbee had a wrong view, but this guy is a well-respected uh, uh, in, in history, said that the whole process of history is just a matter of cycles. As powers go down, then other powers rise back up, then they're conquered, and then they go down, and then other powers come right back up, and it's a never-ending matter of cycles. Powers arise, and the powers overtake that, and that's way uh, that uh, Professor Toynbee espoused as for the explanation of history as uh, the rise and fall was concerned. There really was no advance. It was just kind of running in circles. There's really no end to this, really, to him. And that's how uh, a great historian thinker uh, brought it forth. Another historian by the name of H.A.L. Fisher said, after studying history, there was no purpose that was found in history. If you have a world view that comes from the biblical angle, you know where everything has come from. You know what's happening now. You know how it's going to finish. And there aren't very many people that really know that if you compare it to all the population of the world now and throughout the ages. They don't know that. That's how privileged we are. Um, that God has let us in. There was the Victorian age. They had a false optimism in the world. Everything was going to just advance, and it did. And it developed, and uh, it progressed. And of course, you get into the 20th century, and you see all the amazing inventions and technology proceed right before our eyes. Technology is just blazing by. And yet, with all that great secular knowledge and great secular education and great secular culture, um, the best that uh, a liberal view can do whenever they look at the Bible, which is where we get our truth at, and say, well, you know, it's really only ethical things in there. Jesus was a good man and uh, had good teachings and the Bible has some good things for ethics. 
And that's the best they can say about it, where we have all the truth. Without the Gospel, there is no hope, as Carolyn just said. Whenever they bring this news across, what, what thing are they going to do if they don't have Christ? They're going to continue to give bad news. And then at the same time, say evolution exists and the world is getting better. <laughs> uh, try to figure that one out. One thing. There's one great theme throughout Scripture. And it gives men and women who are Christians, we have an understanding of life in this world. We know what it's about. We know where it's going. We know there's an eternal purpose that God has. And we know that God's plan ultimately is to redeem not only some of His the ones that He's chosen out of mankind, but He's also going to redeem the world. So all the people that have all these projects going around to save the planet uh, don't have to really worry about those things because God... <laughs> he has it under control, doesn't He? The eternal purpose. James of Number Boyce said about this right here. Paul turns to the church as the focal point of world history. This is the point upon which God's purpose is focused. Right here in verse 10 and 11. It's coming to the culmination. This is God's purpose. As He works through this church and He manifests Himself through it. God uses insignificant people people who are really um, not the big names and the, the few are there be that would uh, be the wise people of the world, the rulers and such. But they're called saints. And they're really mainly unknown to the rest of the world. There are some standouts in the Christian realm you know, that uh, the world can identify with. But I, I look at this and say, what an empire. What a, what a deal this is. We looked at last week Three images of the church, and we saw it as a kingdom, we saw it as a household, and we saw it as a, as a temple. And uh, so when we looked at it as a kingdom, we saw it as, a, uh, as an empire or kingdom and that thought. And this is a great reality. Paul is holding for all of these Ephesian Christians to look upon and to gaze at. This is where you're at. This is who you are. Okay, I love this word here. It is just uh, pregnant with just great meaning here. To the intent. Here's the purpose. That now, Paul has just got to be ready to burst as the Holy Spirit has just had him be able to write this down. And he says, Now, the manifold wisdom of God. Got to stop on that manifold wisdom. Multicolored multifaceted. It's like taking the light that's coming from, let's say, the sun, and you have a prism, and the light hits that, that white light, and what happens? The colors of the rainbow split up out of that prism. And so the church is what receives the wisdom of God and now it's just like this manifold, multicolored, multifaceted. It's like a diamond. And all of a sudden the colors just burst out. Various colors of the spectrum. It is manifold. It transcends any kind of capacity that we can even hold here. Our knowledge, 
we have acquired is really slender. A slender proportion here, though, compared to what all this amounts to. The supreme purpose of God, or, or really of, of the church, is to glorify God by manifesting His wisdom before the angels. The angels who are higher than us, spirit beings now, and one day we know that we will be over them. But right now, He uses the church to manifest His wisdom to these principalities and powers in the heavenly places. He says, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones used that analogy of uh, a prism in that the church breaks up this whiteness and uh, you get it into the full spectrum. What a glory this has to be as God's creation of the angels look at the church to look at His called out ones and they see even more things about God. I mean, they have been around Him for a long time in a much more intimate way than we have. And uh, God is saying, look at this. Look at my creation here. The church. And this is... <laughs> and you know, we seem so insignificant, but He uses every little member there to make this sparkling diamond the church is the final expression, I mean, in one sense, of the wisdom of God. Because uh, we're the most glorious of His creation. His wisdom you can see out in just creation itself. You look at a tree. You look at the flowers. Everything that's coming out right now. And you look, you say, this is the wisdom of God that does that. And then you go on and you see animals. That's even higher, you know. And all of a sudden you look at mankind. But then what's higher than mankind? The church the called out ones that are put together in the body of Christ. We were created by Him and for Him. Made known by the church. It's kind of a staggering thing to think about. But what kind of divine wisdom is to be known? Well, for one thing, you take the first seven verses. And this is what Paul is, is bursting out about. The, the fact that, that there's the mystery of Christ. Who Christ is. And the mystery of church. In, in the verse 4 he says, By which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. And he says, Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets. Paul's saying, hey, I'm one of them. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ through the Gospel. Who's he writing to here? Ephesians. Uh, most of the Ephesians here uh, at the Ephesian church are going to be Gentiles. And Paul, as excited as he can be, he's saying, yeah, that's you. You're part of that body with uh, the rest of the, uh, the Jewish believers. And uh, you get this mystery. And then we see that there is this mystery that is to be preached to the nations. Paul says, I'm the one who gets to take that out. Of course, there are going to be many others and all the way up into our time now. So the, the, uh, what is to be made known by the church, Paul has revealed that, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the, the, the body of Christ, Jews and Gentiles, and uh, that uh, we find out in verse 10 that this mystery of God is to be known. Uh, the angels have to be astonished 
by Jews and Gentiles put into the body of Christ together. Because when you look at world history uh, and look at today, you just look at the news and what two people are still going at it. The Jews and, when I say Gentiles, I think of specifically the Arabs, right? People have tended to go against the Jews all throughout the history of throughout Bible history. We've seen that. There aren't too many countries that have really uh, accepted them. But he's saying now we're talking about a body, though, where they come together, where they in, are in perfect harmony. The angels are going, what? This is, this is incredible. And so the church is the medium of this manifestation. What kind of wisdom is this? This is coming from God and He's using us to put this on display. Now, the principalities and powers. Usually, um, most people will interpret that and I would too, this uh, being the angels, principalities and powers. Later on in Ephesians 6, you'll see the same thing when you see it in spiritual warfare. Uh, I think what is happening here is this is some kind of a cosmic showcase that God's using. And it's so stupendous. It's so amazing. It's so glorious that even the glorious angels, of course, God is the one who is really glory, but I mean, these angels are quite the beings, aren't they, that have been created, these spirit beings. They spent their whole time in the presence of God and they worship Him in a way that we can't but we will. They're staggered. They're amazed at this. You know, they they've been with God in such a glorious way, and they see what God is about, and they learn a little more about Him as they look at the church. And Paul is is just blown away by this. Well, they they envy us because we have a different relationship to Christ and God than they have. And they probably wish they could have that, maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Yeah, they've got to be wondering about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Different, different parts of His creation that He's done. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Well, when you go back to uh, Adam and Eve, they were very aware of what was going on there, evidently. And of course, God used angels to block off the way that they couldn't get back in anymore. And then you think of Noah. You know, they had to be in on that, seeing that. I mean, and you can take up to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Jacob and Esau. They're looking at this and not getting it all the way. You know, what God is doing in His plan. Uh, they can see the children of Israel in the wilderness. Moses there. Uh, when they get into Canaan. or And then when God has to judge them and... Uh, takes them to Assyria, the ten nations, or how about the, the Babylonian judgment that was put on them? And, and they're looking at that. They're seeing that God has this great plan. They've seen God's wisdom in history. They know that He's working through that. They've watched humans. And they've seen how God has handled nations. They've seen how uh, nations are brought up through their own making. They are great empires, they think. And they come and destroy other nations and gobble them up. And then some other kingdom comes up and arises and gobbles them down. And God takes them 
And uh, he uses them as enemies against his own people and judges his own people. And then later on, he takes that same empire and then scatters them out. And uh, so all the nations, they've got to be terrified when they see one of these empires rise up. And then you, you, take back, you take a look back at Abraham as God uses, well, Abram to start a nation from his loins. Uh, and it comes from a pagan country is where Abraham's from. And they go into a foreign land. This is all God's providence and carrying out what he has. But they saw God form that nation for himself. I mean, God's, God's purpose here was all coming through. And of course, uh, you know, that whole uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is uh, an incredible thing. Uh, men that weren't looking for God and God just uh, came in and worked uh, his purpose through there. And he's calling sinners to repentance. When you think of Israel going down into uh, Egypt to uh, really becoming slaves and in bondage, angels see that. They later saw God delivering them out of this bondage and the Pharaoh being judged going to Canaan. The angels are watching God's wisdom. That's a, that's a tremendous story when you think of this whole thing lined up through Scripture. And it's going to come out even greater than they can even imagine. And so throughout the church, they've watched that. But here, Paul is now saying something that has never been said before. This is the mystery. It's now being revealed. It was not revealed before, mysterion, and now it has been revealed. I'm telling you, this is the way it is. And that's what Paul is but saying to them. Angels understand judgment because they had a judgment that was done upon them. But grace, they do not understand. It's something they've never seen before. They didn't have that same. They weren't saved by grace, were they? So they, in some senses, see the greatest manifestation, even down through all the ages of history of mankind, and they look at the church. And they see what I think to be the greatest view of God's wisdom as He works through that. It's all His wisdom. I think God's glory is what? The supreme goal of everything. And angels as the creatures they are, they give God glory. And I think about them in Psalm 148, verse 2. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. We're talking about praise the Lord from the heavens and the heights and the angels and the hosts. I mean, when you think of angels, you think of them praising God. Well, you can't help but think of also in Hebrews, where they are mentioned, Hebrews 1.6, really in kind of a, a relationship with mankind. We see how they respond to God. In verse 6, But when He again brings the firstborn of the world, He says, let all the angels of God worship Him. There, they're still worshiping Him. What about in Hebrews 1.14? Worship God, but look at this. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? What an incredible ministry they have 
they have a part to play in, in ministering to us who uh, are heirs. Hmm. Well, you can't help but look at Revelation. And when you think about angels praising God and knowing that redeemed people desire to praise God and worship Him, one day to enhance their worshiping that they already have a great worship with God now with they don't have sin so it's got to be a tremendous worship. We still battle with sin. Even in the best of our worship, when we're on our hands and knees, we are still feeble people. But one day, their worship will be even more complete in the sense that we'll be joining them. In Revelation 4, 8-11. through 11, The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created. No evolutionist in heaven. (laughs) And here you have the four living creatures. A lot of, you know, you get into Revelation, you get a lot of interpretation. But I think we could at least be safe to say this has to be some kind of angels. You have wings and such. And holy, holy, holy. I think of Isaiah chapter 6, right? And then the 24 elders, some say that represents the church. Whatever it is, you have different creatures there that are worshiping God and in an amazing way. What a, what a praise. Go over to chapter 5, verse 8. Now when he had taken the scroll of four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. That would be what's representing the church. They've been redeemed. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Kings and priests. And they're joining there. They're, if you look in chapter 4 and chapter 5 and then on through Revelation and some of those great praises, you see that what seems to be believers and angels gathering together. I'd like to think of it that way. Can you imagine through eternity what it's going to be like to worship with, uh, with each other? God, through the person of Christ, there we see Him as He is. We see each other in our glorious bodies and we're putting up perfect praise and worship. Well, I can imagine the angels were wondering, what about the second person of the Trinity, the the Son here? 
Do you, don't you think it had to stagger them whenever God had Jesus humbled, or the second person of the Trinity humbled, to come down here on earth as Jesus, as the Savior, and be born in such a humble way in Bethlehem, such a humble little town, and then live as a pretty well a poor person, and then being taken to the cross and crucified. All of those ways that were very humble ways, you take it to the cross and we see where everything is focused at and we recognize the angels here, even though they are ministering and serving and praising God and doing such, and in another sense, they're also like an audience. They have to be examining this out. What a wonderful way. You know, do they fully comprehend what God is doing? I, I think if... Uh, we remember in Peter, he talks about that. And they longed to look, the prophets longed to look into what they were even writing. They didn't understand it all. And the angels were glimpsing into this whole story of the gospel, of the grace of God. Uh, they're, they're, they have to be marveling in this story. Well, about these principalities. Look in Ephesians 1.21. Jesus is um, being mentioned here that He's raised from the dead, seated at the right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is a name, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Uh, focus point is Christ, but what we're hitting on there is principalities and powers. We know about the Ephesians 6. How about uh, Colossians 1.16? For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and in, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. So, you take it to the very max. He takes it all the way to the principalities and powers of the air, I guess you could think of. And we realize that God, of course, is above all them, but He mentions that that same principalities and powers. And uh, you think of the, the angelic beings when we hit into that. And they're there and they're glorifying God. Then they look at His church, people who redeemed were redeemed out of the bondage of sin and death and hell. And uh, we see that uh, God has made a magnificent creation out of the church. God has elect angels. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 21 I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ it's a pretty good charge isn't it? and the elect angels now you have God God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ there and now he even says I charge you even before the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. That's quite a charge that Timothy gets from Paul, isn't it? Takes it all the way to God the Father and God the Son and the elect angels even. He includes Salvation. 
that God has worked out has, has got to be the, uh, I guess, the, the greatest manifestation that they can, they're trying to grasp. God accomplishes His purpose through, uh, through salvation, doesn't He? Through redemption. A means of a new creation. Look at First uh, Peter one twelve. Oh, let's look at verse ten. I was kind of referring to this while ago. Let's just read this whole section of this salvation. The prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, the Spirit of Christ was in them, who was in them was indicating when He testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ. And the glory that would follow. So back in the Old Testament was the suffering of Christ and the glory also. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. This is the story of the ages. This redemption story, salvation by grace, it doesn't make sense. And even the angels are shaking their heads like, how does this work? They're looking into it. I mean, they're really peering into this. Really examining it. Checking it out as the Greek is set up there. But even the prophets didn't know what it meant. But the Holy Spirit that was sent to the church when Peter writes this, they did understand it now. And that's the way that God had planned for that to be. You know, the angels don't have redemption. Once they fell, they fell. There was no redemption for them. So the angels must be astounded with these human beings. Exactly. So sinful. (laughs) God redeemed them. Yeah. And they're rejoicing in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Luke 15.10 Exactly. We're, uh, we don't have to turn Right there, you just said. They're rejoicing. They've got to be astounded by this. Can you imagine the joy that they have? A glorious joy. They might get a little more excited about it than we do. We really love it. Like you, like you say, when you have some baptisms coming up, isn't that one of the most exciting times you can have? Because you get to, to put it as a picture. Like the Lord's Supper. Why do we like Lord's Supper and communion? What, what's the big deal about that? Well, it's another picture of showing God's salvation. You know, proclaiming His death, grace, and the baptism does the same thing. That conversion. Yeah, we like it because God is pleased by it because we're being obedient. So we get joy out of knowing we don't think of it that way. We think of it as we're doing this because of fellowship and reminder. But God's got joy in it. We get joy in it too. And it's right. You know, because we got the mind of Christ. So. He takes great joy in it, doesn't he? So he passes it on to us. Like, whatever. Yeah. That's what it's about. And well, they saw the different ways that God saved men. It's always by grace. Never any different than that. Not even worse than anything. But, you know, the different ways that he did it. And you, and you think of Saul, who, who later was known as Paul, was struck on the ground. <laughs> Isn't that great? And God just blew him down right there, just like that. And then you have Lydia, whose heart was just open. 
God opened her heart to see those scriptures and to see what was what it was. Then you, the Philippian jailer had an earthquake that happened. He loves multiple ways of doing things. Aren't you glad that God is not a cookie cutter type? He has a vast array of gifts that He gives the church. There's no two Christians that are even that that are alike. <laughs> And, and yet they all come from the same source, but yet they all are gifted differently. And then you think of how He saves people. Every one of us has a, a different story, different background, but we're still saved the same way. You know, by grace. Uh, it's just unbelievable. And so these angels, they're just, they're just stooping down, I think is a way to put that. Stooping down to look into this. What is, how does God do this? The many-colored wisdom of God and He's showing through the church. What a great way. Are the angels seeing us as we play out our part, as they kind of, if I can say this, kind of like an audience, as they're looking at us, and, and, and of course we're working the work that God is giving us, um, do, they, do they see um, God's work in us? Do they see that? Do they see it where we work, where we live, whatever we do, where we play, whatever? Uh, do the, the angels see that, that kind of thing happening? Well, we close this out with verse 12 and 13. Boy, Paul, you had a load here. I like that 11 there we just kind of covered, but it was according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is all according to the eternal purpose. What does Romans 8.28 say? For God works all things together for good to those who love Him who are called according to His purpose. It's all a part of His plan. So all those things that we go through in this turbulence really is something that He uses no matter how bad, but He's going to work it out for good. His eternal purpose. And here it is. Whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. So, He's the one that comes up with this great scheme, this great plan, this super purpose, and, and we see that He says yes. You can come right up to the throne. You have the boldness. That means to be absent of restraint, to be absent of fear. Uh, before Him, there's a fear of God in the right way, but uh, know that we can have. We don't have to have apprehension. We have freedom to approach Him, like in prayer. That the access is the means of entry. The way that we can we can come in there. The privilege of entrance. Go right to He's come up with the plan of the universe of all the ages, and He lets us in on it. You'd think, hey, I'll save them, and then after that, that you know, I'm not going to give them anything else because they don't deserve it. You know, but they don't deserve salvation either. But I'll give that to. Them. No, He lets us in on His plan. I think that's what amazes when the angels are looking at this. Oh, maybe not. <coughs> Of course, they're fitting in with his plan, and there are a lot of things going on that they know that we don't even know. You know, we long to look into some of those things, like the future, but uh, we don't get to get in on that. That's good. 
But a lot of times when things aren't going good, we like to know what's going to happen out of this. <laughs> we have confidence. That's no fear of rejection at all. And uh, a little short on time. You, you can think of Hebrews 4, Hebrews 10, where it says we have access to our great God. Boy, that's a promise. I hope all this has just been encouraging stuff tonight You know, as we look at this. The privilege of the ministry we have. The manner of our approach to God here. What's another? What makes it a, uh, the access possible? Well, He's a holy God. The holiness of God. That is one of the biggest things that we need to preach in our message. The holiness of God. I think you guys went to that. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Was that last year, right? Uh, Was that? Oh, nine. Oh, nine. This was two years ago. Yeah. See? Boy, it's just flying. That seems like it was a year ago. I know, I know. I listened to that whole series and I listened to it over and over again. I go, oh man, so good. So good. And that's really what it's about. If we would tell people that God is holy, and when if they can recognize what the holiness of God is, then we see how sinful we really are. Because we like to make our thing our ourselves think that we're better than we are but it starts with the fact well how does this access be possible God is holy when we recognize that we see that it's because of John 14.6 for instance I am the way the truth the life no man comes to the Father but through me so we're coming through Christ and that's the reason we can approach the holiness and it's the only way Christ himself now, what do I do to make this real? <laughs> How can I make this real? Well, keep concentrating on that, this thought. Go over and read this. I don't know why, uh, I've been kind of examining this for the last uh, seven, eight months. This text right in here. It's staggering. The more that you read it, the more you think about it. It's just it's mind-boggling what God has done and to know that don't rely on your feelings. When when things happen and it's not the way that you want it, your moods, your mood swings, don't rely on them. Uh, your inward conditions even, I mean, you're, you can be fooled. Preach to yourself. Preach. Martin Lloyd-Jones always said this. Preach to yourself every day. Preach to yourself the gospel. Preach to yourself the provisions that God has made for you, a child of God. Preach about that. And, uh, you know, realizing that, hey, um, we sin, we confess it to Him, we can go boldly before Him at the same time and recognize that we have Jesus Christ as our advocate. And there we are. And that what makes it real. Uh, Philippians four six talks about thanking God and uh, manifest the wisdom of God. He's given you all the wisdom that you need for the time that you have. Giving you all the grace. And then when you look at verse thirteen, and we close this out right here. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart. My tribulations for you, which is your glory. Paul's reason for alluding formally to his imprisonment. He was imprisoned. Verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. He's really saying, I'm really a prisoner of, of who? Christ. I'm, I'm a slave of Him. He's the Master. But he was a prisoner when he wrote this. 
And so the thing is, he says, the reason about all this, about this imprisonment, it's now manifest. It was to prevent them from being discouraged when they heard of his persecution. And that's what Paul says. Hey, don't lose heart. I know my tribulation I'm going through, no big deal. It's for your glory. Look what I got to write to you. (laughs) Hey, are there any questions?